Welcome back, listeners. My, I am Juan Carbona. And I am Mariana Luna, and we are your hosts for Mi Vaya Mi Vida. Boy, do we have an interesting episode for you guys today. To be honest, we began with one idea for this episode, and it quickly morphed into another. At first, we planned to do a walking tour of historic Brownsville. The city provides maps and descriptions for walking tours, and we thought that would be a fun and interesting episode, since Brownsville is one of the oldest cities in the valley. Plus, we had always wanted to explore the old city cemetery. As we did a little research ahead of time, we quickly realized that the cemetery had so much to offer that we decided to focus on just going to the cemetery for our first trip out. Then as we explored it, we realized it deserved its own episode. So here we are with our newest episode on the old Brownsville City Cemetery, an episode filled with history and so much more. We hope you enjoy it. Hello there, everyone. We just arrived at the old Brownsville City Cemetery. We're just coming, kind of coming into the gates. It's a typical humid valley summer morning um, and just checking out the the grays and the art and the architecture and you know it's some you know when you just walking in we you know you see a grave to what says San Roman who you know uh, was a dry goods man in 1846 operated riverboats smuggled cotton during the great cotton wars what they refer to the civil war here in the Rio Grande Valley so he would take his ships out into um, Baghdad Island, which is with the deep water port where you know ships, international ships who wanted to pick up that cotton would um, would meet there to pick it up and you know pay for it. Yeah, we're just here and we're just excited to see a bunch of history. Um, obviously, we're to be respectful, but you know we're just looking around, seeing what's there right now, and we see a lot of mausoleums. The reason for that is that. Um, it used to flood a lot around here, so a lot of them are in mausoleums or on raised ground so that, you know, it doesn't destroy the graves. Uh, just short of the entrance on the right, you, you'll encounter uh, a grave, which you can see, uh, you know, a lovely poem left by her husband. And it basically, the, the gravestone reads, Alicia, wife of George Triplin, died October 27th, 1878, aged 32 years. So she was pretty young when she died. And the poem reads, Little star that came into the sky, the night my sweet one slept in death, bend over me nightly with her beaming eye, from nightfall to the morning breath, I feel her spirit lights th thy fire, when all the host sweep silent west, thou seemest to linger, stooping higher, as though to kiss and leave me best. Okay, so we are in front of Francisco Uteria, or the Uteria family mausoleum, right here in the Brownsville Cemetery. And uh, Francisco Uteria was the son of a captain in the Spanish army in Matamoros. He married uh, Felicia Trevino, a Spanish land grantee. He started as a clerk for Charles Stillman and worked for Mifflin Kennedy and Richard King. During the Civil War, he became a leading broker of cotton through Matamoros. He also opened the first bank in Brownsville and amassed 130,000 acres in South Texas. And the mausoleum is really, really well kept. It looks like it was probably redone or something. Um, way, it looks way better than a lot of the other mausoleums. And right next to it, we also have um, William Neal. He does not have a mausoleum, he just has like a little gravestone, but he is marked with a little marker. Uh, Englishman William Neal established the first stage line between Brownsville and Point Isabel. 
He was a scout during the Mexican-American War, which was between 1846 and 1848. He witnessed bandit raids during the Cortina era and saw the rise of Porfirio Diaz. He could be considered Brownsville's first historian. So we have these two historical figures of the Rio Grande Valley right next to each other. And it's super interesting just to see um, where they both came from. And then they're both, you know, they're both here. Standing here, um, kind of like, you know, deeper into the entrance of the cemetery, uh, along the Rasaki, you can see different levels of the cemetery. Like we're on a higher level, and then you, it goes down to a lower level, which has another set of graves, all face, you know, all facing uh, this beautiful Rasaka that's just, you know, right here along, you know, and you can find these, you know, throughout Brownsville and Cameron County, but, you know, it's just this in, in, interesting view, you know, of, of the expansion of cemetery and this the geography of this upper level then this lower level which probably comes into play when we we said earlier like the flooding that comes into this area especially at the Rasaka right next door i'm thinking that this um upper level is more of a older level because you probably would have built it higher up on a hill and then you know as it expanded you probably you know the plots left were more on the lower level where they weren't burying at the beginning Walking through the cemetery, there's um, historical plaques that give you a little bit more background on some of the people that are buried there of historical significance. And here, I'm sitting in front of the plaque of R.B. Krieger. And he was an attorney, the Republican Party leader of Cameron County, uh, president of First National Bank in Brownsville, involved in Brownsville Waterways Association. Um, he was a collector and customs agent. Being a customs agent here on the border was a major political position in the Rio Grande Valley. Um, he was Republican nominee for governor and um, also was nominated for vice president of the United States. Um, president Warren Harding, when he made his tour down here, actually stayed with him. And he was responsible for attracting 60,000 people from the lower, uh, um, excuse me, Harding's visit attracted 60,000 people from the lower Rio Grande Valley in Mexico to come and, you know, see the president and visit with him. Okay, so standing in front of the graves of Captain John Roach Butler, Stephen Powers and Joseph Kleber. So Captain John Roach Butler, um, he was he transported supplies to General Zachary Taylor at Point Isabel uh, or Fort Taylor. He retired as port captain for Brazos Santiago and was a surveyor for Lloyd's of London with a group that was granted a second railroad charter in the Rio Grande Delta. Mr. Stephen Powers was a captain of volunteers with Zachary Taylor's army at Matamoros and was promoted to commander of a great American garrison under General Winfield Scott. He became the Cameron County Judge in 1858. He served as 12th District Judge throughout the Civil War and in the House of Representatives and in the Texas Senate. He organized the Democratic Blue Club in 1873. He practiced law with James B. Wells and acted as counsel for King, Kennedy, and Stillman. And over here, this last person, I'm walking over, uh, Joseph Kleber, if that's how you say his name, was a native of uh, Alaska, Lorraine, Lorraine, who owned and operated a pharmacy in Brownsville during the Civil War era. In those years, he was also the Confederate postmaster. His business correspondence was conducted in English, Spanish, and French. He helped establish the Rio Grande Railroad in the 1870s and was linked by marriage with several other pioneer families in the city. So lots of connections. We're walking more in the cemetery and we came across um, this family plot 
um, of the Renfros. Um, there's a lot of little grave markers. Um, we have uh, Eleanor Russell Renfro, who died in 1970. Robert Byron Renfro, who died in 1953, um, probably husband and wife. But in the middle, um, there's this beautiful uh, grave marker here uh, of Laura Renfro. And it says, a true and faithful wife and mother. Um, no attached um, with a husband. She probably is buried here, but her grave marker is just huge. It's very tall. It's like a pillar, super beautiful out of marble. Um, just really, really huge. This is the biggest grave marker I've seen for um, a single woman or a woman. And it is even more interesting that it's just her and not her and her husband. So I thought that was very interesting. What is really interesting to see as you make your way around the old cemetery is just where all these places are from, giving you a better vision of Brownsville, Texas back in the early 1800s. I'm looking at the grave of my Michelle Schatz uh, from Antwerp, Belgium, born May 30th, 1836, died February 28th, 1896. So, you, you know, we were seeing people from France, Belgium, Spain, you know, um, really just showing, you know, revealing the cosmopolitan nature of what was Matamoros and Brownsville. So we are here and we're continuing our walk through the cemetery. And we have come across um, Annie S. Pugent. Um, she was one of eight teachers at Washington Park School when it opened up in 1889. The school was torn down and rebuilt in 1940 and then renamed in her honor in 1947. She was briefly a principal and an assistant principal, but returned to the classroom until her final days at the age of 80, having served the school district for 61 years. Schools and city offices were temporarily closed on the day of her funeral. So this is a super um, well-known teacher. And yay, teachers unite. Yeah, we've been seeing a lot of the Woodmen of the World graves throughout the cemetery. And here, um, standing um, in one part of the cemetery, Side by side next to each other are two very famous names in Valley history. Here's W.S. Doherty, um, born October 29, 1868, um, died 1908. And then right next to is the wife of John Klausner, Annie D., who was born September 2nd, 1861, and died February 13th, 1903. Two really, you know, two names that even driving around the valley you would recognize. Okay, so continuing our walking, we came across a, another huge marker, a grave marker, or dedication stone, um, for Jose Fernandez Toral, born 1832, died 1911. So the story behind him is he has this little plaque also dedicated to him. Um, he was a pioneer in overland freight, made a huge fortune in arms and supplies for Mexican and Civil War trade. He joined Porfirio Diaz's inner circle in 1876 and acquired a large coffee plantation in Veracruz. He amassed sizable property and banking holdings in Brownsville and has the largest monument south of Corpus Christi. And that is true because it is very, very tall. Um, it's Jesus Christ holding a cross and he has his name pretty much inscribed into the grave marker and a very beautiful just cover there so very 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 beautiful 
All right, so here we are. Uh, we just came to a plaque that is marking uh, Potter's Field. So Potter's Field refers to the low-lying grounds extending from the slope to the Resaca, where local indigenous were buried. In 1967, Hurricane Beulah flooded the area, unearthing coffins, which were later seen floating in the Resaca. Burials in the section were prohibited starting in 1984. One thing that really stood out to us is how many gravestones were emblazoned with the words Woodman of the World. And the gravestones itself were shaped like tree trunks or they had a branch, a tree branch incorporated into the gravestone itself. We were fascinated with how many graves we encountered with this moniker. And as historians, we decided to do a little research. And what we found out was not exactly what we thought. Ariana and I discussed it and then thought it must be something like the Freemasons or something. And we left the cemetery with curiosity and we did a little research. So it turns out, like the Freemasons, Woodmen of the World is a fraternal society based around life insurance and burial. So according to Dale, Dale Forsyth, Joseph Cullen Root was the founder of the modern Woodmen of the World in 1882. This original fraternal organization only operated nine of the central western states. By 1890, Mr. Root was dissatisfied with MWA and left it to organize Woodmen of the World. When Joseph Cullen Root founded Woodman, he envisioned an organization dedicated to helping its fellow man. Its purpose was to minister to the afflicted to relieve distress, to cast a sheltering arm about the defenseless living, to encourage broad charitable views. Lifestyles have changed since Root wrote those goals into the objectives of woodcraft, but fraternalism remains strong. The objects of woodcraft have always exemplified love, honor, and remembrance. Fraternalists are concerned with helping others, promoting patriotism and civic responsibility, and providing financial protections for their family. Today, Woodwood members do not simply share the fact that they have purchased insurance or annuities through the same organization. Woodman is a fraternal benefit society, with members connected by their membership and also their desire to better their lives, their family lives, and their communities. As a member of this fraternal order, you would be provided a death and monument benefit. This began as a free benefit, but as it became costly, members would eventually have to purchase a $100 rider. The unveiling of these markers provided by the Woodman of the World would be held as formal ceremonies. D. Gregory Dream describes these ceremonies, saying these unveilings were formal events attended at times by a parade of the camp members to the cemetery, always with a moving eulogy for the deceased member. On Memorial Day, flowers would be placed, as well as on the graves of other camp members. Later, changes in the bylaws of the Woodmen of the World admitted women to the order, and they too could have a marker. The Fraternal Order has now evolved into an insurance ag agency known as Woodman Life, which still boasts its connection to its early days. Their corporate website states, When you become part of the Woodman Life family, you're joining other people who share your commitment to family, community, and country. We've been helping to protect the financial future of families like yours, making a difference in hometowns across America, and honoring our country since 1890. As a not-for-profit life insurance company, we put money back into the community. We're here when you need us most. It does this through supporting meetings, helping with cleanups after natural disasters, and fundraising for schools. When we look at the, the links to this fraternal order and what we saw at the Brownsville Cemetery, one would think this organization is probably linked to the probably the wealthier and wider side of Brownsville, given the climate of the early 20th century South Texas. However, in our research, we found that Mexican Americans were also members. 
Sociedades Mutualistas or Mutual Aid Societies are organizations that sprang up throughout the Southwest to help the Mexican American community with things from food, clothing, loans, legal aids, burials, um, classes, and even community events. A proper burial and life celebration is integral to all communities and a way to dignify the life of a family member. The attraction of joining a fraternal order that assists with this, especially for those without means, goes without saying. A photo we encountered in our research in the Texas State Library and Archives Commission, entitled Women of the World Meeting Brownsville, 1911, shows a group gathered for the photo in which you can see both the U.S. and Mexican flags proudly displayed along with 12 Mexican-American adults, only two of which who appear have been men, and the rest all women, and two children, one boy and one girl sitting on the floor. What this photo tells us is that Mexicans were part of this fraternal order and women were heavily involved. This is true throughout Mutualistas, and these organizations will certainly be the subject of another episode. Before we get into this next little section, let's start by letting you know that we in no way set out to do anything more than a brief cemetery study of one of the oldest cemeteries in the valley. However, something happened early on in our explanation, in our exploration. I'll let Juan pick this up. We had just entered the cemetery, and as we moved it forward off to our left, um, there was this old mausoleum, and um, behind it was a, a bigger one, and it had the name McAllen on it. And as I was walking past the old ma mausoleum, just as I was about to the end of it, something tugged my left cargo short pant leg. At first, I thought I got it caught on something because I'm always not paying attention where I'm going. And then my, but there was nothing there. And my next thought was an ancestor. So I ran around the mausoleum to look for a name, but it didn't have anything on it. And the reason I thought it was an ancestor is because I've done some research on, and on my grandmother's side, are we, we go back to some of the oldest families in the valley, like, especially like the Cavassosis. Um, but there was no marker on it. So, um, I wasn't able to, um, figure out whose it was. And that's a subject for further research, maybe some other day. There's a picture of me standing next to the mausoleum. We're going to put it on our website and on our Facebook. And we should eventually get a Twitter. Nevertheless, that was not the end of this adventure. Okay. So we're standing here. <laughs> we, Juan just recorded something on Michelle shoots, um, and I was looking out on the cemetery, right? And I saw a flash just in the corner. Like I was staring right over to some graves and I just saw a flash, like a camera flash. I don't know what that was, but it was on this side of the wall. There's a wall that separates the, or that encloses the cemetery. So it wasn't on the outside. It was on the inside of the wall behind some gravestones. So I don't, I don't know what that was. <laughs> Maybe after the previous incident, it was all in our, already in our heads. Who knows? But the weather was not helping our imaginations. The past couple of weeks, the valley had been inundated with torrential rains causing flooding and the week uh, we decided to go to Brownsville was no different. I checked the weather and it looked like we had a window for a couple of hours. So we decided to go ahead and head out. I drive a Toyota Camry. My brother drives a Chevy Colorado. And as I was leaving, I just something told me, take the truck. Good thing I did. Um, and as we were making our way through the graveyard, the sky went from sunny to cloudy. We began to see lightning in the sky. So toward the end, we decided to hurry up the last part of our little exploration. And once we got in the truck, it was a light sprinkle. We decided to stop somewhere for lunch because the heat and the humidity made us very thirsty. 
And in the back of my head, I thought, well, if we stop for lunch, maybe the rain will pass us by. And then we can get, you know, get home to Donna and Alamo safely. So after an excellent lunch at Cobbleheads in Brownsville, where we thought maybe another food episode, <laughs> uh, we decided to head home. Um, it rained while we were there, so we were hoping it had passed. And that way we could get to, you know, where we need to go. We got on the expressway, and it, just as we got into Harlingen, the rain came down with a vengeance. We probably did about 20 miles per hour max on the expressway, using only the taillights of the cars in front of us. Driving, Juan had to stay in the middle lane so water didn't collect itself on the edges. But our one major worry was exiting from the expressway because frontage roads are the ones that usually flood in the valley, and that was probably the sole topic of our way home. Uh, where was the best place to exit in Donna? Because I live in Donna. Where did the road not flood as bad? You know, we don't want to get stuck. We were in a truck, so we weren't too nervous, but you never know. Anything can happen. Needless to say, we got home safely, thankfully. Uh, but the concept of climate change was on our minds, and it became a topic of conversation because we realized that this summer had really, really heavy rains, uh, more than usual, and there was flooding was just almost a weekly thing this past summer. So very crazy times. As you can see, not only did we explore RGV history, we also had our own adventures along the way. Despite the slightly creepy encounters in our treacherous drive home, we truly love learning about the history of one of our oldest cities. Seeing the grave markers with the dates that go back to the 1700s and with all the different countries represented, we can see just what an important city Brownsville was from its inception, not just locally, but internationally. Too often when we're in the RGV, we see our little community as a bubble, disconnected from the rest of the world. But doing this kind of research, you see a broader image of the valley. We hope this might inspire you to do your own cemetery study and see how far back your town's roots go. Either way, it was a pleasure bringing this story to you. So until next time, we, we love, love you, RGV. RGV.